Bible reading is from Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. If you could turn with me again to the book of Mark, specifically Mark chapter 3. I'm going to be following along from our reading before. So that's Mark chapter 3 and picking it up at verse 23 and reading through to verse 30. So Mark chapter 3 and verse 23. Let's hear from God's word. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Well, friends, as we take a close look at God's word here, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you as we come to the best part of the week, the part where we open up your word and take a look at it, that you might by your spirit, look into us, into our hearts. Uh, Reveal those things that aren't of you, Lord. Change them and make us more like Christ. We pray that you would do that work now in us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen. Well, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Udemia and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. When the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders to tell no one who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, And that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. 
Friends, in case you're wondering why I've began by reading out another passage of Scripture, if you have your Bibles in front of you, you'll see these verses come right before our passage this morning. But friends, not only do these verses precede our section, which I've titled Jesus versus Beelzebub, they also in many ways introduce this spiritual battle and set the scene for us. How so? Well, as we saw last week, Jesus' radical interpretation of the Sabbath is the final straw for the Pharisees that breaks the camel's back. The upshot? Well, it's big, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Friends, you may have heard of the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And no more is that saying true than right here. For the Herodians, as the name implies, were cheerleaders for Herod. While the Pharisees hated Mr. H for being Rome's sock puppet. But when it came to Jesus, well, let's just say the upheaval he was creating saw them call a truce and come together. Come together to talk, reflect and pray that God might give them some guidance in the situation. Not on your life. Now, these two groups decide to go the way of Cain, don't they? Seeking after the one who inspired him to empower them. Now, not not long after this dark little pact, Jesus says this to them. Have a listen. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Friends, we've all heard the term selling your soul to the devil. And Mark chapter 3 verse 6 pinpoints that moment for us in the Pharisees. Suffice to say the battle against Jesus has just upticked to a whole new level. The one who has been waiting for an opportune time ever since he lost in the desert is back. How will this play out on the ground? Well, there's the incident at the lake, Jesus' response on the mountain, followed by the big accusation at the house, which we read out before. So first to the incident at the lake. And friends, as we take this scene in, although on the surface it looks no different to the last few weeks for Jesus, you know, him there plus big crowd, On closer inspection, there's something very new about it. And Mark doesn't want us to miss it. Have another look at that list in verse 8. Not only are there Jews here, but a huge contingent of Gentiles as well. They're pouring in from regions across the Jordan, Mark writes, as well as down from Tyre and Sidon as well. In other words, Jesus' fame has now spread to the point that worshippers of foreign gods are now dropping everything, travelling across country to get a piece of the action. And friends, when this hugely diverse culturally and spiritually, this crowd spot Jesus, what you have is the closest thing to a human stampede. 
And if you were on the shore with Jesus that day, watching as the hordes closed in at you, well, no wonder he's telling you to get a boat ready just in case, verse 9. And so we have this massive, lurching, mixed crowd, Jews, Gentiles, all pushing forward to get at Jesus. And friends, to top this frenzy off, we have this going on. Mark chapter 11, have a look. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell face down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. In response, Jesus commands them to be silent. Now, friends, much ink has been spilled as to why Jesus would stop Satan's minions from declaring the truth about who he was, who he is. But when you think about it, the the reason is pretty clear, isn't it? And that is, an outward confession like this was to be accompanied with an inward confession. That is repentance. The result, reconciliation and peace with God. A peace which transcends all understanding. But friends, when you have an outward confession minus inward repentance, the result isn't peace, but the scene before us. This screaming, yelling declaration, whipping this already excited crowd into total hysteria. And friends, if you've ever been in the middle of or witnessed an hysterical crowd, well, let's just say Satan can have a field day with that. Any moment, the Gentile contingent could grab Jesus by one arm and the Jewish contingent the other, and in the fray, Jesus be torn limb from limb. And friends, a premature death like that will have no benefit for Jew or Gentile for whom he came to save. And so, just as he calmed that chaotic storm with a simple word, So Jesus calms the satanic chaos being whipped up here. He calms it instantly by saying to these meddling demons, silent. And they were. And so Jesus' boat makes it through the satanic maelstrom and stays on course. But with the battle now clearly heating up, Jesus responds by getting his troops organised, doesn't he? Verse 13, have a look. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And so we see, don't we, Jesus responds to the uptick in the battle by commissioning 12 foot soldiers. And their brief is clear, isn't it? They are empowered to win souls for Christ as well as weaponized to deal with the demonic opposition that will do all their power, in their power, to stop their advance. And friends, in this moment, we see, don't we, that Jesus is forging a brand new people of God, don't we? A people who, in responding to him, are released 
from the kingdom of darkness and brought into his wonderful light. And as we take this sort of big picture in, the murderous satanic war being waged against Jesus and his mountaintop initiative to overcome it, as we consider this battle being waged for us in the unseen realm, for many of us it can seem a little out there to say the least, can't it? Because we live in a day and age that either downplays or outright denies the unseen realm, don't we? But to steal a line in the movie The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it doesn't exist. And friends, the Apostle Paul, knowing we are vulnerable to falling for this trick, wrote this to the Ephesian church and to us. Have a listen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Put on the full armour of God, urges Paul to equip you in the true battle, the true fight, the spiritual battle. And don't leave one piece of equipment out. Because when it comes to the devil's schemes, no strategy of his is off the table. And friends, that truth leads us directly into our main scene. Have another look at it. It begins in verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Now friends, Who have got to Jesus' family that they would say a thing like that? Because no one inside that house thinks that Jesus has lost it or or they'd be spilling out the door, wouldn't they, in an instant. So if it isn't any of them, who has got to Jesus' family such that they are suddenly convinced and racing off to get him because he's lost his mind? Friends, remember Mark chapter 3, verse 6? That murderous pact inspired by the devil? Well, it's time to take a leaf out of his book to bring Jesus down. Verse 22 is the verse. Have a look at it. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, actually the correct word here is worth saying, so what were they spouting out? He is possessed by Be- Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. And friends, with that little word, that little tell, we get a window, don't we, into what was actually happening inside the four walls of that house. Afresh from the mountain, Jesus and the twelve are wasting no time in taking enemy ground, are they? People are being set free, left, right and centre. The spiritual war is raging and it's pretty lopsided. 
as though something must be done and done fast. And so the religious heavies, inspired by the father of lies, go and tell a big fat one to Jesus' family to get them to stop him. Quick, there's shrieks and howls and all sorts of mayhem going on. Jesus has conjured up the prince of demons and is letting his minions loose on the street. Our friends, in this accusation, don't miss the irony here. Because it is the religious leaders who have been overtaken and now ruled by the prince of demons. It is they who have invited him in in their quest to destroy the Prince of Light. And Jesus is now going to make this truth abundantly clear. Have a look at how he does it, verse 23. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Friends, whether you're a Christian or not, you have to love the way that Jesus deals with his accusers here, don't you? The teachers of the law build this carefully constructed lie. But Jesus, with just a little puff, blows their entire house of cards down. So Satan's driving out Satan here, is he? Is that your interpretation? Maybe you can explain how that works. Maybe an example of how that has ever been a winning strategy. Take any example, a leader of a kingdom, all the way down to a household. If he pits himself against his own, well, that means just one thing, doesn't it? Self-destruction. And as we all know, the devil is not into that. So if Satan isn't in charge here, where is he? Jesus continues, verse 27, have a look. In fact, or literally, here's the fact. No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Now, friends, what an awesome picture Jesus provides to help us see into the unseen realm here. Here's what's actually going on. I've walked into the strong man's domain, knocked his lights out and bound him up. The one who accuses and bullies and robs people of their souls, well, he's over there in the corner, hands tied, feet tied, rag jammed in his mouth, while I loot his house, set free his possessions one by one. Satan casting out Satan, ridiculous. Now, what you're actually seeing here is him finally meeting his match. Someone stronger. And this stronger one releasing his house of its stolen goods. Friends, what an awesome picture this is of who Jesus is and what he came to do. 
And because the Pharisees are aware of this, but hate Jesus for it, because their accusation against him reveals their allegiance is with the one who is bound, Jesus now looks at them and says some of the most frightening words any human being can ever hear. Have a look at them. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Now friends, can you see what Jesus is doing here? The religious leaders are charging Jesus with an unforgivable sin. That it is he, the Son of God, who has teamed up with the prince of demons against God and his people on earth. But the reality, as we know, is much, much closer to the reverse. It is them, the Pharisees, who have invited Satan in. Doing his scheming, his bidding, his lying, whatever it takes to bring God's son down. In this, you lot are on dangerous, dangerous ground, warns Jesus. There is no redemption for Satan. And there is no redemption for anyone who throws their lot in with him. To be in Satan's court... To match and align your will with his is to choose his end. Now friends, this is as much as a warning to the Pharisees as it is a statement of fact. This is the moment for them to step back from the abyss or in ignoring Jesus' warning, step straight into it. Now I know what some of you may be thinking right now. I'm sure in my darkest moments of anger and doubt, I've thought, even said some bad stuff about Jesus. So could it be possible that I've committed the unforgivable sin as well? Friends, let me tell you, if you had, not only would you not be at church today, but concern that you had crossed the line from which there is no return would be the last concern on your mind because you're too busy hating on Christ. Friends, let me assure you, if you're worried that you are in the same camp as the Pharisees, well, that is proof positive that you are most certainly not. Okay, but how can I be sure I'm in the right camp? that I'm on the right side of the spiritual battle, the winning side, Jesus' side. Well, let's return to the story because it's not finished yet. Verse 31, have a look at it. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. 
Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. My true family, the ones who belong to me, are those who do God's will, says Jesus. Okay, great. So what is it that the Father wants me to do? What actions required that I might be part of his family? Well, These are the questions that immediately come to mind when we read that final verse, aren't they? But friends, notice the ones who Jesus now points to aren't doing anything, are they? Nothing at all but sitting before him. The quiet, seated ones in this scene are the ones Jesus points to and calls my family. Now, What's his point? Well, those seated around him clearly are not part of the group trying to get him out of there, are they? Nor are they part of the crowd who think Jesus has lost his mind, or worse, think he's he's demon-possessed. In other words, the ones doing God's will here are the ones who are ignoring all the noise, all the lies, all the opposition, and sit at his feet. Because they know, despite the yells and howls of protest, Jesus is the one who can bind the strong man and save them from his accusation, his lies, his ownership. Before these seated ones stands the one who saves sinners like them, saves from the realm of darkness to the kingdom of his wonderful light, and they know it. And so ignoring all the voices They lock on to and follow his voice. Your family is at the door, Jesus. No, my true family are those who recognise me. Recognise they have found the stronger man. The one who not only bound Satan that day, but on a greater day, a day that destroyed his accusation and ownership and lies and everything that binds you for good. To do the will of the Father is to recognise his Son. Recognise him as your Saviour and your King. Are you seated before him? Or has something else, someone else, got your allegiance? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, often we find the day-to-day, I guess so full in some ways and difficult in others, we don't even consider spiritual battle that continues to be waged against your people and against the gospel and its outreach and its proclamation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder this morning, not so that we might fear this battle, but know that in Christ it is one. Help us, Father, to rest in him as John prayed before.
Help us, Father, to sit before him, learning from him of his wonderful salvation and also learning how to live with him as our king. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would protect us spiritually from other voices, particularly Satan's voice who continues to seek to bring down and to lie and to accuse and ultimately to get us to reject you. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that by your Spirit you might encourage us that we are your children and help us by your spirit to grow us up in you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory.